You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm a staff writer at IndieCornrows.com and the co-host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Let's get right to it from the start. Pacers lose to the Denver Nuggets 107-104. They made it closer late than it actually was. They trailed by nine with two minutes left. Really never got into it late in the game. Cut it late on a Collison three that counted at the buzzer. But really, this was a six to eight point loss. Um, Mentally, on paper, obviously a three point loss. And let's really start with the end of game play the last four minutes and the Pacers continue to struggle to find their second option outside of a Victor Oladipo pick and roll go to the rim or Victor make a play what I mean by that is last time the Pacers played the Nuggets Victor Oladipo basically won them the game himself by constantly running the pick and roll going right to the rim scoring getting fouled whatever it was creating actions off of him they easily created baskets and cut a 114-106 lead into a 114 all game and they won in overtime tonight he could not produced the same kind of magic, and it's because the Nuggets prepared for it. They were ready for it. Last time, you know, they saw it last time, and they were ready to stop that. They had Jokic like they didn't have last time. That helps. But they were ready, you know, when Victor Oladipo came in and just double-teamed him and forced him to do something else. You saw off the pick-and-roll with Thad Young. They double-teamed him and forced him to get rid of the ball to Thad, which he did. Thad made a couple of nice plays, but then with about three minutes left, he hesitated on a couple times, and the team forced the ball back into Vic, and Vic was not able to make a play because... They were forcing it, and this is what troubles me when the, this Pacer team heads into the playoffs is can they find that number two play? You know, last year with the Pacers, we saw in game one of the Eastern, of the Eastern Conference first-round playoffs against the Cavs, the Pacers basically ran everything through Paul George. The end of that game one, it came down to the ball in Paul George's hands, let's say 10 seconds left. LeBron came over double-team George, left his guy with two miles wide open. PG, of course, made the smart pass. Miles missed the shot, and basically LeBron said at the end of the game, he'll live with anything that happens as long as PG doesn't shoot the ball to win the game. They trust anybody else to miss the shot except for PG. And that's what teams will do to Victor Oladipo. They will basically double-team and force somebody else to step up. And if nobody else does, the Pacers will continue to lose games. You know, I think in a in a tight back-and-forth, maybe one- or two-point game, it's a chance at defensive play, but Pacers could swing it the other way, which they've been really really good on defense, making you know those timely steals or a timely block by Miles Turner. But when it comes down to a game where they trail by five with a minute or two left, and they have to get a bucket to cut it to three, cut it to to two, whatever it is, to make it you know a tight game, they're gonna re- they've been relying on Victor Lee to make a play, and teams will just say, "We'll double team Vic and leave whoever's open." It's gonna come down to can by damage hit the open three, or can Vic even find by damage for the open three, or Collison the same thing, or Thad Young making a floater, those type of plays. And it worries me right now because really the only thing they're running is get force the ball into Vic, and if that doesn't work, keep forcing it, and then somebody takes a bad shot when they should try to run other plays besides the Vic straight pick and roll. You know, I was a big fan against the Miami Heat when they ran the pick and roll, and Victor Oladipo faked it out, drew the defender in, and then dished the calls in the corner for a three. That worked really well. 
you know, I don't know if all this is Nate McMillan's doing, and will be part of it be up to Victor Oladipo to finally make the smart play. You know, we compare Oladipo to Russell Westbrook because they played together, and Russell's notorious for not making the smart pass at the end of games, not making the right play, for trying to do it himself. And Victor's a little less selfish than Westbrook, I think. Also not as good as him overall, but he's less selfish, so maybe he should be looking for the pass more at the end of games. I know Victor Oladipo wants to take the shot and be the guy. But sometimes if teams are going to double team, he's got to kick it out, and they've got to figure out how to set something else up and kick the ball around, and they can't be afraid to shoot. That's what I saw with Thad Young. He was afraid to shoot the ball with three minutes left in a five-point game. He looked like he, like, you know, he didn't want to be blamed for the loss when he has to just take the shot with confidence. The same things with Turner used to be, where Turner was just not confident. You know, there was a game with the Washington Wizards where the Pacers did pull it out, but Turner got the ball for an open 15-footer and semi-hesitated and then missed the jumper because he wasn't in. The flow of the game, you know, he, he had his open shot and he basically hesitated out of it. And that's what bothers me because Victor Oliva can't do this all. He's going to do some. He's going to make some heroic, some theater. He's going to win you, let's say, two playoff games. But you got to win two playoff games some other way. Either defensively, you got to play amazing defense, or you've got to have some other guy step up late to make a shot. I'm not talking about a guy that's going to need to score 10 straight points, but if you get a, a timely, you know, with under 30 seconds left, three-point shot from Miles Turner, Bojan, or Collinson, who are all capable of doing it, that would be huge for this team, and it would definitely open up the offensive game. Let's move on and talk about more of this game before I get to my last topic of the show. Nikola Djokic killed the Pacers all night, 4-6 from 3-11-17 from the field overall. He had 30 points. Will Barton continued to kill the Pacers as well. He was 10-18 of 18 from the field. He had his way inside all day. He had 10 rebounds. You know, the offensive glass was killing the Pacers too at times. They were not able to get as many offensive rebounds as I would like. They let up. They gave up a total of 13 offensive rebounds. And second chance points is really what probably did it in for the Pacers tonight. Um... What also killed the Pacers was the these just early, terrible starts the first and third quarter. Um, they ended up being down, I think, as much as 10 in the first quarter, and then went down as much as 14 in the second in the third quarter. The starters just did not get anything going to start. Um, you know, they looked at the turnover match. They actually didn't do as bad. They were about even on turnovers, but they got out-rebounded by 7. Denver also does a really good job of moving the ball around. They have 31 assists as a team versus the Pacers' 22. That's something you notice, too, throughout the game is Denver did a really good job of a couple of times just like there's a couple little plays that really kind of swung the game was they were able to fake out when they were had basically a two on one on the sides. So they had one time where basically Thad Young was caught between two defenders. They did a great job of kicking it back and forth until the guy was basically wide open and making Thad overcommit to somebody. And there's another time where Collison made a really bad mistake to double team Jokic and let his um, Jamal Murray wide open in the corner for a three. Those kind of plays really killed the Pacers, especially the Collison one. It was 91 89 at that moment, and Collison basically left Murray wide open. That made a 94 9 game. The Pacers were never able to cut it closer than I believe three points from there I think they ever got she got closer than five after that point and that's where it really hurt them was just that single play and it's really kind of interesting in these games where one single play can sort of flip you know the whole thing I mean it was 91-89 the Pacers get a stop there probably 91 all this game might have been a Pacers 100-98 win but that ends up being a 107-104 loss um, another thing I liked about tonight's game on a positive note to end before I talk about my last topic was Tomato Sabonis finally looked more like his normal self Looks like he's getting back into shape from being from that ankle injury. He was five of ten on the field for thirteen points. Um, he had a little more, I want to say, bounce in his step. I, you know, he hurt his, um, I believe, one of his ankle, his right ankle. I can't remember his right or left ankle right now, but he hurt his ankle, and it seemed like he had more lift off than before. The, you know, he hadn't had the past couple of games, but he finally had it back, which is good signs because at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the next five games, 
Pacers would probably be in the 4-5 matchup. Hopefully as the 4 seed. We'll see what happens with Philly. But they're going to be in the 4-5 matchup, and they want to be healthy for the playoffs because that's the only way after they're going to win is if they're healthy. And it's good to see Sabonis at least looking back like his normal self because he was a critical part of their early stretch run, you know, winning a lot of those games early in the season. He is a critical part of their bench unit being successful and for it to be successful in the playoffs. It's gonna, he's going to need to be healthy, and it's good that he'll take going on that path because, like I said, no matter what happens in the end of the season, it's how you look going into the playoffs. I believe they can win a matchup against Philadelphia, but they've got to, you know, things can't go, you can't have a lot of things go wrong. You need the little things to go right. You need the little injuries here to just not be lingering and nagging. You know, you might get lucky with Embiid being hurt. You just you need these little things to keep going right for them to make a real playoff run. So Sabonis looking normal again, you know, starting to look back like his normal self. It's good to see. I'm going to talk about the Pacers' playoff rotations after this. Welcome back in. The Pacers have got to shrink the rotation to eight to eight, guys. They've got to figure it out. Um, I'm... You know, I understand right now, uh, as we head into the stretch run, trying to, you know, save guys some minutes and stuff like that. I understand all of that. I understand why McMillan basically is playing 10 guys, 9 guys deep. I believe he's going he's going 10 guys deep right now. He played Robson only 7 minutes tonight. He's basically going 9 guys with Booker as the ninth guy. So, you know, I'm talking about the starting 5, and you add Stevenson, Joseph, Sabonis, and then they add Booker to that. But he's got to stop playing these really just terrible spacing five-man lineups. I know it worked tonight a little bit. Uh, Keelan Cooper tweeted something about how it wasn't going to work, and then it worked. But it usually doesn't work. And really, Booker out there is is fine. But I don't think he really can help you win a playoff game. I think they're better off going to an eight-man, shrinking it into an eight-man rotation and letting Victor Oladipo play 35 minutes, making uh, Thaddeus Young play 35 minutes, um, you know, letting Bojan play in the 30s, that kind of thing, because I know you're you're worried about rest, and I think right now, at the end of the season, you don't need to do that, but in the playoffs, you will need to do that, because you've got to play your best players to win playoff games, the bench doesn't do enough, doesn't extend leads, that's like the kind of the critical thing is, can your bench extend your lead, and it really doesn't do it for them, and so the only way to extend the lead with the bench is to bring in a guy from the starters who can help boost the bench, and really the only guy that can do that besides Petrolo Depot is Darren Collison, if you look at net ratings, I'm going to pull up the net rating stats real quick. But basically, Victor Oladipo is a huge net positive when he's on the floor. Nobody else is a net positive except for Darren Collins, who's a slight net positive. You know, you got like Thad Young, who's also a slight net positive, but I don't think he can do it for the bench the way Collison can because you need some kind of guard to really be that net positive. So when you look at net rating, which I'm going to be writing about for my next Indy Cornrows article, on the court, the pitches are a positive 6.8 with... Um, Oliva out there and a negative 7.6 when he's not. That's like a 15-point swing. And then if you look at Darren Collison, I'm going to pull him up real quick. They're a positive 3.9 with him on the court and a minus 0.02 when he's not. So a four-point swing. Then Thad Young is the second biggest swing of any Pacer player and ends up being a eight-point swing for them. But I don't think Thad Young can flip the bench the way that Collison can because Thad Young isn't an individual scorer the way Collison is and he... And Young is so effective because he plays a ton with Oladipo, which is why the net rating is higher. Yes, he plays way more with Oladipo than any other player, and he fits in with Oladipo in a way that doesn't fit in with the bench unit as as well. So that kind of leads me to my point of the Pacers have to make a decision. Is it worth starting Collison over Joseph? Probably is, but is it worth bringing in Joseph at the eight-minute mark of every first quarter and then letting Collison play, let's say, for the last two minutes of the first quarter, 
and through the entire second quarter or let Collison play the entire second quarter or something like that to really help boost the bench unit. Because the way McMillan's been doing it right now is Vic plays the entire first, usually the entire third, maybe gets a minute at the end of there, usually sits six six minutes, and the second quarter six to eight, sometimes eight, I think he sat seven tonight, and then he usually sits about the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That usually gets him down. You know, tonight he played 35 minutes, so I believe he sat seven minutes in the second quarter, and he sat the last minute of the third and the first three of the fourth. That should get you the math to get to about 36, 35 minutes around there. Um, but is it worth playing Collison more of the bench, guys, that will boost it? You know, you could play Vic the entire second quarter, then play Collison, or play, sorry, play Vic the entire first quarter, then play Collison the entire second quarter, or something like that, or maybe save Collison the last four minutes, let Joseph play with that. Whatever it is, I think there's something there where it's better off to play Collison with the bench unit, at least in the second quarter. I understand in the third quarter, you already, they already kind of do some of that, but maybe in the second quarter, start doing that and allow the bench to just get a little boost because what's been happening, you know, Tonight was not what actually what what was um, in indicative of what happened, but what's been happening really is the starters usually keep it close, whatever, and the bench blows, and the starters come back and carry them back in the second quarter. And so in the playoffs, you know, we've seen it time and time again where coaches have too much faith in their bench, and that's how they lose playoff games. They just trust their bench to do too much, and the Pacers don't really have, you know, we think they have a deep bench, but they really don't. They go about eight guys. They really have maybe three, they have really one trustworthy guy off the bench in Corey Joseph, and they got two guys who it's hit or miss. Sabonis earlier, I would say, is trustworthy. Now, who really knows? Then Stevenson, it's obviously a game-by-game base, whether you trust him or not to play well. He played well tonight, but you never really know with him, and his three-point shot on the road is just atrocious 24% from the field. I think I saw Mark Monteith shot to him for that, tweeting that set out. So, you know, that's what you got to look at is really – how they make this playoff rotation, how they get Vic. Maybe Vic plays 38 minutes a game. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays 38 minutes and really just sits five minutes in the second and five minutes in the fourth. That's about it. I'm not sure you can even really do that, though, in the fourth quarter. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Collison starts playing a little more minutes with the second unit to really help boost him. Maybe Collison can play 35 minutes in the playoffs. You know, it's not like you're trying to save Collison or something. You're trying to win playoff games, so maybe you extend Collison a lot more than you normally would. Um, but Joseph also might close out games depending on the matchup of the series. With Philly, you probably get Collison. But if they play Washington somehow, you know, they get the three seed they play Washington, I definitely would see Corey Joseph at the end of games because of the Wall and Bill combination. Just interesting to look at because I'm not sure what Millen does, and I'm secretly hoping he has some plan that he has not revealed yet, but I'm really worried he doesn't. You know, I talk about I talked about how his set, he really doesn't have any drawn up plays besides the Vic. You know, isolation play at the end of games, and then this rotation thing is concerning because if he plays the same rotation he's been playing right now, they're going to get beat in the first round. They're going to get beat if he plays Booker too many minutes. You know, I understand he might be able to steal some into Booker here and there, but if he plays Booker too much, they're going to lose. If he relies on Lance when he's playing not very well, they're going to lose. There's all these little things that can really just sink the Pacers, and he's got to figure out how to not let that happen. You know, and maybe he has some grand plan. Maybe he has some grandiose plan in the back of his mind. I don't really know. I, you know... The, the smart person in me says he doesn't, but the Pacer fan in me says he does. So we'll find out if he does. I'm hoping that Millen has some master plan, or at least some of his assistant coaches have some plan for him. As always, you can follow the Locked On Pacers podcast on Twitter at Locked On Pacers. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're looking at data. I know most of you get us through the 
Apple Media Core, just the, the podcasting app on the iPhone. That's great. You can subscribe to us there. You can leave reviews there. Leave five-star reviews. Leave honest reviews, but leave five-star reviews because if you're listening to this podcast at this point, it means you like it. So leave a five-star review right now. Also, you can follow me at FreemanAdam5. You can follow my co-host at TeastNBA. The week before the playoffs, which is next week, we're probably going to do a mailbag. Look, look out for that. And also be a special guest next week. I hope you enjoy both those. Hope you enjoyed today's Locked on Pacers podcast. As always, have a great rest of your day.